to the Water with Lemon podcast. This is Emma Cook, your host. I am super pumped that you are listening. On this episode of Water with Lemon, I'm chatting with Kate Warman. Kate is a speaker, blogger, and the host of the podcast, The Heart of Dating. She lives out in LA and is totally rocking and empowering women to thrive with purpose. I was so excited to talk to Kate and we had such a good conversation. We're talking today about navigating the dating world, but more specifically, we dive into talking about rejection and the repercussions that come with breakups. I learned so much through recording this episode, so I'm excited for you to hear Kate's story and her wisdom in this topic. Stay fresh, my people. Hey, Kate, how's it going? I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Hey, Emma, girl, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. And I just have to tell you right now, this is hilarious because I don't have an air conditioning. I don't have air conditioning here in West what? Los Angeles because they just believe here by the ocean that we don't need AC. But right now it's like 85 degrees and it's hot. So I have one small AC unit. Oh so I'm goodness. talking to you right now with my AC unit turned off. So I start <laughs> if I start sweating profusely, you know why. Yeah, I get you. But here's the thing, Kate. I want to feel really bad for you, but it is 110 degrees in Texas today. <laughs> okay. 110. Fine. You know the thing is, though, like, yes, that is hot. But at least y'all crank up the AC. People in LA don't know what to do when it's hot. Like, they... <laughs> It places their air conditioning doesn't work. I'll go to coffee shops to get out of my house to work, and it's still like 80 degrees in the coffee shop. I'm like, what are y'all doing? We can't survive. Okay, yeah, no, I don't, and it probably gets muggy inside those places. Yeah, yeah, okay, I'll feel for you a little bit, but <laughs> just it's... a little bit. But yeah, I can't complain. 90% of the year, we have beautiful weather. Yes, I I am jealous of your rest of the year. Come on, come on down to the 110. You see, you see how it goes, and then well, you know, I lived in Texas, so I get it. I love Texas. You're right. You're a Texas girl. Hot. You're a Texas. It's like one summer I lived there, and I think it like didn't drop below 100 degrees for like 90 days or something crazy. Right. (laughs) It's ridiculous. It's like too hot to even like swim. I know. You just gotta live in air conditioning or. On in a pool, basically. In a pool, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> but you understand, you Texas girl. I get it. I get yeah. it. Well, I'm so excited <laughs> to have you on. I have loved your podcast, The Heart of Dating, um, and we'll get to talking about that a little bit later. But I'd love for you to just start us off and maybe tell us about your journey with Christ and how you came to know Him personally. Yeah, I love that question, girl. So. Oh, so funny. I was actually speaking at a conference this weekend and I got asked that same question. I was like, oh, all right, let's do this. So I have to say when I first characterized my walk with Jesus, it's kind of been like a roller coaster, but a ride like with lots of highs and lows, but definitely a ride that's been wild, but I've never actually really gotten off of it. You know, I've stayed on even amidst the highs and the lows and all in between, but I actually grew up Catholic. So I grew up on the East Coast, and a lot of people on the East Coast and the Northeast are are Catholic. Um, And so that was how my childhood began, and it was actually a really unique situation. We were really close friends with the priests. We were friends with the nuns. We visited the convent all the time. So we had a really cool, unique, I would say, Catholic experience, and um, we're very involved. I was an altar server, if anyone listening knows what that is. I wore the garments. I was on the altar. It was really funny. Um, But anyway, uh, 
I then moved to Ohio um, when I was in high school, and this is where I really started to experience more non-denominational Christianity. And I remember going for the first time to a church like that and realizing like, wow, they have a projector screen and they have real life band on the stage. What is going on? (laughs) Whole (laughs) new world. Like not like that. Yes. And, um, but I have to say during the worship, it was just so beautiful because I remember during worship and just experiencing like a different side of what I didn't know. I didn't have language at the time to explain it, but really the Holy Spirit deep in my heart. And, um, so it was, I would say I first experienced Jesus really and truly on a deep level through experiencing the Holy Spirit through worship. Um, and so that's where I kind of, I started going to more non-denominational Christian churches. Um, I would say though, that throughout the years after that, and from the end of high school into college, that I was really more of a believer than I was a true follower. So I sometimes say that. So I believed in Jesus, but I wasn't truly following his ways. I didn't truly have a deep relationship with him. And so I didn't really know what the Holy Spirit was. I didn't know what it meant to hear from God or pray with Jesus and have an experience, have a conversation with him. So I would say um, how I got to where I am today. Well, I found I found really sometimes, Emma, and it's funny that Jesus loves to emphasize his deep love to us and awaken us to it through sometimes deep, hard pain and hardship, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Not always, but sometimes. And at least for me, that's how the narrative played out. So um I didn't say this at all yet, but for everyone listening, we'll get into my dating story surely. But I, in many ways, was desperate for a boyfriend growing up. And that desperation meant that sometimes I got into relationships that I should not be in. Mm. And, you know, I was also found myself staying in relationships that were really toxic. So that happened basically while I was living in New York. So right after college, um, actually in Dallas and then New York, and I was in a very toxic two and a half year relationship that, um, really sought to steal away my entire identity, I would say. And Mm. it, it really, it really wrecked me, Emma, um, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, it was so toxic. It sought to destroy every ounce of my self love that I had for myself. And it, it, it actually succeeded in many ways. And I found myself broken. I found myself filled with shame. I found myself with very little self worth and I felt really, really empty. And, you know, it was through that season where I felt like I really had nothing. Um, and because the relationship was so abusive, I had in so many ways convinced myself that it was my fault and that Mm -hmm. a lot of those happened. And there were a lot of lies that the enemy loves to just like pry on these little lies and these Mm -hmm. small, awful lies that then become bigger lies in our brain. And they, they become our new truth, even though they're a total lie. And so Jesus really had to take me out to the desert basically to basically say, I'm going to rip you of all these false idols. I'm going to rip you of all the things that you think you need to find your identity in. And instead, I'm going to reroot you in the only true anchor that really matters, which is my deep and true steadfast love. And so after that relationship, as painful as it was, God met me there in such a profound way. And through being in that season of desert was where God was able to basically build my identity back up and build my identity back up and reaffirm who I am in him, right? Mm -hmm. And so- that's that happened. Um, that relationship ended four, no, maybe six years ago now. So it's been five or six years. Sometimes I get the timeline wrong, but that was where I really, really, truly, from that point forward, knew how deeply and truly I was loved by Jesus. And so 
that's where I, I'm at today and really just empowering, encouraging women to know a deep and true love for themselves because, you know, we'll talk more about relationships, but we can really um, lose ourselves in relationships. So mm-hmm. that's, yeah. that's a little bit about my story, girl. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for sharing. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who will be able to relate to that. You know, just one yeah. growing up Catholic. I've, I know a ton yeah. of people who grew up Catholic and were kind of... Um, just thought that was normal just to go through like the rituals instead of having a relationship, right? They yeah. just had no idea or, and then also just who didn't want a boyfriend in high school, yeah. right? Seriously. Like oh I think gosh. almost every single girl will be able to say, yep, that was me. I desired that. And some people wanting it badly enough um, to get into relationships that were um, maybe not the best for us, right? So I think it'll resonate with a lot of girls. Um, Mm. so then like, you know, tell us about your podcast and the heart of dating. I'm sure a lot of your experiences in your life with your story, um, kind of led you to that point. So would you mind just telling us kind of like your vision behind why you started the heart of dating? Yeah, I'd love to. So yeah, since that point after that relationship and over the last few years, I've really developed a deep and true passion for the topic of dating in the Christian world specifically, but also dating just at large, because Mm -hmm. I feel like there is such a cultural phenomenon and problems with dating and relationships. You look at the statistics and they don't lie. We're getting late, uh, married later and later in life. Um, I think the average is 29 for men and around 27 and a half for women. And the stats now are that, and this is so heartbreaking and sad, but one in every two Christian marriages end in divorce. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's staggering to me, but I realized that as I was, you know, really developing strong relationships with my community at church that, all of my friends, me and my single girl and guy friends, most of what we talk about is dating. And it mm-hmm. revolves around relationships, heartbreak, asking people out, all of it. And the thing I realize is that a lot of us has no have no idea what we're actually doing. Right. We have no idea. And, you know, we can each – we could provide ourselves – each other with as much encouragement and insight as we possibly can. But this, at the end of the day, we're not – getting a lot of great resources for how to do it right. And the reason being is that dating is not explicitly discussed in the Bible because Mm -hmm. at the time dating didn't exist. People had arranged marriages and it was just totally different situation that worked for them at the time. But uh, that's not how we work today. It's not how we function. And dating only came about in the last hundred years and really in the last like 60, 70 years. So, and that term dating like was developed, you know, in the mid, um, I think 1950s, 1960s, something like that. But so there's lots of resources that have been spread out across the years, but there are not that many centralized areas where Christians can access dating advice, um, help and guidance easily. Mm -hmm. And in a way that's really accessible. And I knew this personally, because when I wanted to look up something and get help on something, I'd search, find a pastor I love and search through all of their sermons just to find one or two nugget sermons on dating and relationships, right? It's just... And that's the thing is like there are some good ones out there that are awesome, but they're just few and far between. And there are some books for sure, but there's just not a ton. Mm-hmm. And so the fun thing is I've I've done some seminars on these things. And what's, what I was also thinking when before I started the podcast is how do I do this in a way that's fun and accessible for people? Because when I've held dating seminars, for example, at my church, sometimes what I find is people are a little afraid to come to the seminars because they don't want to admit that they need dating. <laughs> yeah. uh, and they're like, oh, no, I'm good. I know what I'm doing with dating. I am fine. You don't have to tell me anything. When I'm like, oh, 
I'm sorry, girlfriend, you need some help. You need to be going to that seminar. What are you talking about? Why do we all think that we know what we're doing in dating? We don't. Okay, so as I was thinking about it, I was like, what would be more approachable than just having seminars? And I thought, well, a podcast, because people can listen to it in the privacy of their own home, their car. They don't have to tell people if they don't want to that they're listening all dating. And so I thought that could be a really cool way to start these conversations. And so when I continued to pray about it, I realized that a podcast is, you know, where you could listen on your own time. But I'm sure just as you figured out on this journey, I had no idea how to start a podcast or what that looked like at all. So right. when God started putting that on my heart, I was like, a podcast. Okay. I know how to run on a blog. I know how to do social media, but what? I don't know anything about audio. And in fact, I don't even know how to interview anyone. So, um, <laughs> true, yeah, you know what? We just have yeah. to learn as well. It's so true. So in true entrepreneur style, I just, I strapped on my, I can do it armor and just, I just decided to fight the battle fearlessly and just do it. And yeah, girl. Um, my mantra in starting it was done is better than perfect, which I always repeat to myself. Done is better than perfect. Just try. You're going to learn mm-hmm. so much anyway. So the ultimate dating, the ultimate purpose, sorry, of the Heart of Dating podcast is, I'll just like tell you our overall mantra is to amass the ever so ambiguous world of dating in the Christian world. And my deep down hope is that the Heart of Dating podcast will really just start a really healthy conversation for both men and women mainly in their 20s and 30s, but all ages, and Mm -hmm. provide just as much wise input as possible. Um, We answer tough questions. We dive into hard topics, and we do talk about some things that are sometimes a little taboo that the church kind of likes to avoid. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, sexuality, masculinity, and femininity, um, and then all the things in between and layers of those things. So it's a fun way to have an open dialogue about things that a lot of people don't really want to talk about, but they want to know the answers too. <laughs> yes. I love that. I love your boldness in starting it. And we need that. We need somebody who's, who's stepping up and saying, Hey, I know there's not a lot about this in the Bible and we don't really know. No one's going to have the right answers, but let's talk about it anyways. Cause it yeah. needs to be talked about. And so I love mm-hmm. that. And I love your vision behind it. And I've learned a lot just, just through um, listening in. So I'm, I'm so glad you. that you're doing it. And so that's like why I'm doing it. You know, I'm learning so much. And then to hear that it blesses other people's is just people's a little bonus. Other people's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All the other people's. The heat is getting to me. Forgive me. Other people's. Okay. Everyone. <laughs> I'm just, grateful that other people are learning because I honestly if people weren't even listening I'd still have these conversations because I love the people I get to talk to and I personally am so enriched by the conversation so I I just love it yes I agree podcaster to podcaster I understand you 100%. yes you get it I always <laughs> say I I've I pray specifically for one girl to just be impacted by the episode yeah. that I released just one to be changed. Mm-hmm. And I got to this point and I was like, you know what? I think that's me. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. I'm the one that's being changed because I wa- I always walk away from conversations like this, um, with something new and, and 
it's just so cool to be able to hear a lot of people's perspectives on uh, different topics. And it's like getting to sit with like, you know, 25 different mentors or whatever. You yeah, know? I totally agree. It's so cool. It's like fun. I'm just sitting down for coffee or wine with someone. And it's like, but we just are recording it. So that's the only difference. You exactly. Know? And then letting the whole world <laughs> listen to it if they want. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah. Okay. I love that. So. Uh, now let's talk about, you told us a little bit, but let's talk about your journey with dating and kind of what that looked like for you. Yeah. Woo. Okay. I'll keep it, scare I'll you a little bit? as short as possible. You know what? I know. And it's funny cause I don't talk a ton in detail on my podcast about it. I think I have to at some point talk, I talk little bits and pieces, but I will break it down a little more for you here today. So are you ready to get deep for just a second? Oh, I'm so yeah. ready. So ready, Kate. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the first thing I'll say is I believe the way we are in relationships and and just in general is largely influenced by what happened to us as children. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, because of my upbringing in so many ways, I found myself constantly seeking out validation and affirmation, and specifically from men because I what there was a huge lack of that for me growing up. And I had because of that, I had a really big, deep sense, rooted sense of self-consciousness and a lower self-worth about myself as a woman. And so any validation from men, I just ate it up. I totally Mm. ate it up. And previously, I grew up actually in Connecticut. And I actually was a total nerd. Really? (laughs) Yeah, totally. And I I played the flute. I I was a straight A student, always went in for extra credit. I led the social activist team. I was just all of it. And I was never part of the popular crew at all. I just, I was really awkward. And I was also, you know, a girl that got her period really young. So I was just in that awkward phase. I got it when I was 10. So I was the awkward girl from like fifth grade, eighth grade. It was like, you know, I just, I couldn't grow out of it. (laughs) It was like exponentially awkward. But anyway, so uh, in high school, my parents moved us to Ohio and everything changed. I dyed my hair bright blonde. I started wearing a ton of Abercrombie. And suddenly Mm -hmm. at this new school in Ohio, I found myself to be the new girl in school, which is really different from all these other years where I was the band geek, you know, and the teachers. So I think that first year in Ohio, this is sad to admit, but I think I had, I was around the age of 16 and I had about 16 boyfriends that first year living there. And I, I'm not proud of that at all, but it's just, and it's a testament to how much I was eating up the affirmation. Mm. And so what I learned through that is I kind of always wanted to be in control of my love life. So when when it wasn't going my way or when I was feeling too vulnerable or if I was nervous that the guy would see the real me, I would end it and just jump to the next thing because I knew there was someone else, mm. which is funny that I say that because I think that's what we do now um, in our hookup culture that we've established true. and unfortunately in many ways. Um, and then came my first true long-term boyfriend, my junior year of high school. And at the time I started dating him, it was really in that area of How I Kissed Dating Goodbye, that book. And it really affected us. So we were expected to basically only hang out in groups. Uh, Dating was really frowned upon at that age. So we were encouraged to go to marriage counseling and commit that we were going to marry one another at the age of 15 and 16. What? Uh, Yeah. And when we sat next to each other, we had to put two pillows between us because we could never be touching. Mm. No holding hands. Our faces couldn't be one foot from each other. It was just very, you know, legalistic in ways. Mm -hmm. And even though we tried our best to do some of these rules, we still didn't follow all of them. And so because of that, 
when we did break them and eventually get a little bit physical and things like that, we felt really deep shame about it. So I ended up dating this guy for about five years. And when you break rules and when you get really vulnerable with someone, it kind of creates this like sense of true deep attachment to a person. And mm. I think that's why we ended up dating for so many years. And he was a lovely guy. He really was. But when we finally broke up five years later after college, I dated someone else briefly. And at that point in my life, I started realizing, oh, wow, Kate, you basically have never been single. Okay. Uh <laughs> And then after that brief small relationship, that ended and suddenly uh, an old quote unquote friend came back into my life and just really briefly about this guy. I had met him previously in college and this may sound funny to some people, but he had friend requested me on Facebook and I remember looking at his page being like, who is this guy? And it was the time when like metrosexual hipster was starting to become a thing and I had no idea what that meant. So I saw the way he dressed and looked. And I honestly assumed, okay, in my naive self, I just assumed that he was gay. Okay. <laughs> so I was like, it's totally fine to be friends with this guy, even though I had a boyfriend, because he's not interested in me yeah. at all. So I was friends with him for a few years. <laughs> totally thought that he wasn't interested in women. Then one random night, come to he ends up at a, a friend event that I was at and come to find out he was not gay and he worked at a local church. Okay. <laughs> and so I was like, wait, what? I'll leave here. Okay. And yeah, so it was, it was really funny. But, um, so I mentioned that I, in, what was interesting is that I previously decided to try to control a lot of my relationships. Right. Cause I, I felt that that is where I was in my comfort zone. And I felt like I did a pretty good job. But then when I dated this guy, I soon realized after one, actually maybe a few months in, that everything was the opposite of what I previously known. So, um, yeah, we would go out to a bar and I would be there with him. And again, these are also, this is met a long time ago. So it's like when I was going out on a Friday night, things like that. And I would see him at the bar and I would go up to him as my boyfriend and I'd realize he's talking to all these other women mm -hmm. and I'd come up to him and be like, he'd be like, Oh, Hey girlfriend, what's up? Give me a high five. I'm what? sorry. What? <laughs> exactly. I'm so I was confused. Girlfriend. It was very confusing because he didn't want his game to be ruined because he can't, he wanted to still flirt with other women, but still be dating me. So that was like a few months into that relationship. But he and called I, you, he called his you girl. his girlfriend. He'd mm -hmm. be like, Hey girlfriend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Yep. So, ironically, I was ruining his game somehow. I don't know. I had never experienced like anything like this. It's a much longer story, but to give you the short for version is that what I'll tell you is that it started a three-year toxic journey of deception, lying, manipulation, and flat-out abuse. And that is where we kind of started our conversation earlier where I said, like, that's where Jesus really met me um, in a very deep and true way when that mm -hmm. relationship ended because it was such a toxic relationship that... I realized that my the love for myself, I had really found it through validation of men all of these years. And God finally, it was like I was finally awoken, right? Mm. Or woke up to the fact that that was never going to deeply and truly fulfill me. And the only love that would deeply and truly fulfill me was the love of Jesus Christ. And I had to go through that deep, dark pain. I really had to experience that as hard as it was and as traumatic as it was and it was like a huge web of lies that I had to get out of my, my system and my body. But 
yeah, so God really built me back up and I took years off of dating and then finally re-entered the dating world and decided that I was going to do it differently this time. And that's where I started looking at dating as a way to see meet people different from myself and get out of my comfort zone and really see and appreciate people for who they are. And so, yeah, so that's been the last few years. I could go on and on about my dating story, but last thing I'll tell you is that a year ago, I did date someone very seriously who I thought I was going to marry, and that ended extremely suddenly. Oh, no. And I, but... I learned a lot, a lot, a lot from a, from that deep and true heartbreak over a year ago. Wow, I bet. And it's like, as the, the older you get, the harder it is because our purpose is now more of, I'm going to date and date with the purpose of getting, you know, married to this guy, not just for fun. Yeah. At least yeah. most people are. And so breakups, I feel like, are a lot different now than they were when you were young even though when we were young it was the most devastating thing in the whole world yes well it's just there's more on the line in terms of your investment level I think but I think what's cool is that and we could talk more about it but when we know that God is so good and that his plans for us are good the breakups don't have to devastate us as much as Mm -hmm. we allow them to sometimes Mm Uh, And when we know where our our identity lies, we don't have to be fully destroyed when a breakup happens. And I never knew what that looked like until this last year, even though it was someone I actually was pretty sure I was going to marry at the time. Mm -hmm. Man, that's hard. Why don't we go ahead and talk about it? So let's say there's, why not, you know? Yeah, Uh, let's do it. All right. (laughs) Let's say there is a girl who's been through a breakup, maybe could really relate to you. What advice would you have for them? Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. So the reality is we've probably, and probably everyone listening has found themselves in a season of heartbreak at some point. And I actually think that we can get heartbroken by many things, not just relationships. We can be heartbroken about a friendship, heartbroken about a family member situation. That is not what we thought. Um, a lot of different things can break our heart, but Mm -hmm. there is a deep and true heartbreak that happens in relationship in romantic relationships. And It's no exaggeration to say that when heartbreak hits, it's like a waterfall of emotions, feelings, Mm -hmm. and thoughts. It all comes pouring down over us and usually in the form of rejection. And that big word, it's like a giant arm. We just feel rejected. And for that moment, it's like the heartbreak becomes Niagara Falls. It's just like all of everything in us feels like we're drowning. Our heart feels like it's drowning, right? And it's really hard to stay afloat and to find hope and um, and not focus on all the negative things and qualities about ourselves. So I just want to say for anyone dealing with heartbreak who have, or who have dealt with heartbreak, I want to say, have you ever thought about any of these questions? Have you ever thought, I must not be lovable? I'm never going to find someone else. I must be too much for that person to handle. If only I had done X, Y, Z things differently, maybe, maybe then it would have ended differently. Maybe I'm just not capable of being in relationships at all. I must not be attractive enough, interesting enough, smart enough, funny enough, insert whatever you want enough. I think these are some of the lies we like to tell ourselves after heartbreak. And I know and I say it truthfully because I've thought those things so much in the past. And I've experienced it time and time again at these deep-rooted lies. Um, So what do all of those things have in common? What it really, what they all have in common to me is they really feed into that deep, dark place of rejection. Mm -hmm. And it likes, rejection comes and tries to 
steal, basically, Emma, I think that it tries to steal the truth of what we know about ourselves and replace it with the lies that God is not who he says he is, that our love for ourselves is not really that amazing, that God doesn't really love us or care about us after all. And rejection is such an easy default as heartbreak sets in because it allows the old lies of ourselves to resurface, maybe things that we've actually healed from in the past, right? Mm -hmm. And instead of realizing that we've conquered those old things, we get so low and we get so overwhelmed by the Niagara Falls of emotions and feelings that we allow those lies to come back up and then we are attached back onto them. So something I learned, especially in my deep heartbreak from last year, because like I said, I did not see it coming at all. I thought I was going to marry him. It was very confirmed by my community, by my mentors, um, by my family. And I started realizing, and my mentor said this to me actually before the relationship ended, because we took a break right before the end. And she said, Kate, do you trust that God is a good God? And I said, yes, I do. And she said, do you trust that his plans for you are wonderful and amazing? And I said, yes. And she said, then you need to know that nothing will get in the way of his will for your life. Mm -hmm. So if you take a break now from him, if you guys take a break and, and let's say you end up back together, these two weeks off or one month off or whatever it is will not change the end outcome of if you are or are not supposed to be together, right? God's already mm -hmm. predestined that to be. And yes, we do have free will and we can make decisions. She's like, but... She's like, you need to submit and surrender knowing that even if this relationship doesn't work out and maybe you won't know all the answers to why, you need to know that this rejection is some sort of protection for your life and that God mm -hmm. is protecting you from things that you potentially cannot see. And oh my word, hearing that, Emma, it was like this whole thing in my mind like blew up, right? And I, I just said, I realized right before a breakup happens, sometimes we want to hold on so tightly. And even if a breakup happens in the midst of it, you our natural reaction is to be like, no, 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 why, why, why? Mm -hmm. Because we want to hold on to it so tightly because we want to remind the person and wave in their face like, I'm so amazing. Don't forget about me. I'm here. I'm here. But then the thing I need to ask people is like, do you want a man that's only with you because you are waving in his face, reminding him constantly of how good you are? Mm -hmm. Or do you want a man that it's so deeply ingrained and imprinted on his heart and ignited in his heart like a fire to pursue you and be with you and choose love with you? I I want the second option, right? I, I really want the second option. So I, a few things on how to respond if rejection hits is to just remember that this could be God protecting you from things unseen. Mm -hmm. And it could be actually that God is setting you apart for something greater. And I think it was the amazing Lisa Turker. She writes a book called Uninvited, which I highly recommend for people dealing with heartbreak. But she's like, when you are rejected, you kind of can feel like you're the girl sitting at a table at the side of the room. And you feel like you are left out of the rest of the crowd and that everyone else, you see it. And eventually and when you're in heartbreak, you look at all the other perfect relationships around you and you compare and you're like, everyone else has that. And I'm over here on my table eating mac and cheese alone, you know? And <laughs> it's like, everything seems just so bleak and you compare yourselves to others. But instead of seeing it as I'm just left out, let's see it as you are actually being set apart. And maybe mm -hmm. you can't see what's actually going to happen for you. Maybe you can't see that tomorrow, but you, but just trust and know that God is setting you apart for something greater. Mm -hmm. um, and I also want to just say to people that rejection doesn't mean and heartbreak doesn't necessarily mean that that didn't, that person didn't care about you and that you're unlovable and that there's so many things wrong with you. Sure. There, you may have 
done some things wrong and may be may need to learn from some things, but it doesn't mean that you are an unlovable, not worthy enough, amazing, beautiful woman. Mm-hmm. Um, you are so deserving of love. We each are so deserving of love. Yeah, it just it doesn't mean that there's no hope for the future. And so we are in charge of our own healing. And so when you are going through rejection and going through a really bad heartbreak, just know that the amount of time it's going to take you to get over that heartbreak is up to you. You are in charge of your own healing. And that can either be scary or it can be empowering, right? Because we can say, you know what? I'm going to embrace this temporary pain. I'm going to let God's love wash over me. And it's going to be hard. Yeah, it could be a few months. It could be six months. It could be a year. But I'm going to allow God deep to seep into the deep places of my heart and fill me with so much deep healing and wash over me. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to embrace onto that so tightly. And if you do that, if you if you just decide to put it in a box in the corner of the room and not deal with it, what I'm going to tell you is that that box is not going away, right? Mm-hmm. If you leave a, a box filled with stuff in the corner of your room, it just doesn't disappear. It's still going to be there, right? So mm-hmm. you're going to have to deal with it eventually. So I always tell people to that you're in charge of your own healing when as soon as you realize that and you can embrace it, the quicker God will reveal his love for you. And the last thing I'll say is um, you won't always know exactly all the answers to why. And I think Mm. we need to stop focusing on all the answers of why and instead start focusing on what to do to move forward. So not the why, but the what to do to move forward. And for me, that meant every single day I went on a worship walk and I prayed the same prayer and I listened to the same worship song, the song Hosanna by Hillsong United. And I literally quoted and prayed these words, I said, God, heal my heart and make it clean. Open my eyes to the things unseen. Every day, prayed that for six months. And I'm telling you, girl, after six months, God did reveal so much to me that I had forgotten about because we have Mm -hmm. blind spots in relationships. And God will reveal over time the why things happen. But the more you focus on why, 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 it will take you from moving away from healing and moving forward in your life. So... Oh gosh, rejection doesn't have to be rejection. It can be redirection and protection. So that's a, oh. that's what I gotta say about that. Oh, that's a that's a good nugget right there. Ooh. More than nugget. That's real good. You know what? Just write that down. <laughs> I will. I promise you. Yeah, I like that, and I love that you brought up uh, Lisa Turker's book. I think I've mentioned yeah. it on another one of my episodes before, but. I remember getting that book in college and I just ordered it because I like Lisa a lot and had no idea that it was going to wreck me. Oh my goodness. I just had no idea it was in that place and just how much rejection can just like destroy your emotional health. you know? Oh, exactly. And we deal with rejection on a daily basis, even in small ways. And I love that she talks about that. We deal with it mentally in our own mind. We convince ourselves of a narrative that's totally untrue. Mm -hmm. And Brené Brown, actually, I love her. She also speaks about this a lot, that we believe false narratives all the time about other people Mm -hmm. that actually aren't true a lot of the times. And Lisa has a chapter in that book that's called like the girl at the gym hates me I think (laughs) yeah and I love that because it's so true this woman you can go to the gym and you make up a whole story about someone else who's really athletic and has the bod that you want and you know you you start thinking that girl hates you because you're out of shape and you're like the clunky one over on the elliptical that would be (laughs) me and you start thinking like oh she got off the elliptical as soon as I got on because she doesn't want to be next to me because I'm super clunky we can start making up these narratives and then Later, a few days later, you see that same girl in the gym and she's like, oh, hey, how are you? Smiles at you. And you're like, wait, what? I thought you hated me. 
Wait, what? You're like, oh my gosh, that was in my own head. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, it is a true thing that we need to take our thought, every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ and constantly be renewed by the transforming of our mind because our thoughts are extremely powerful and they dictate what we believe about ourselves and what we believe about others and what we believe about God. And it's so empowering to be able to transform our minds, but it is. It's a challenging thing and it requires effort and a lot of just paying attention, right? And awareness. So yes, yes. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm, I'm just smiling because I'm laughing at myself and that's totally <laughs> what the Lord is trying to teach me. Even just like in this season of taking thoughts captive and just making up the enemy just like loves to come and manipulate everything and anything and, and oh. make you turn it into something that it's not. And it's annoying. A hundred percent. Oh yeah. It's like, that little deep-rooted lie that um, I have a pimple on my face today, and so now every time someone looks at me, I'm thinking they're just thinking that I, my face is ugly. That is not true, and most likely they can't even see my pimple. Right. But I'm thinking that it's the only thing, and I hyper-focus on it, and then I start getting self-conscious, looking people in the eyes, and this is a real thing. These things happen. <laughs> but it's funny because the enemy's like, your face is ugly. You don't look pretty today. And then you start focusing on that, and it like destroys your self-confidence when that person across from you that you're looking at doesn't even see That's it. No Let idea. me tell you, they don't even see it at all. Yeah. <laughs> they don't. They don't care. <laughs> they, or they don't care. I, I think about it too. I'm like, I look at people's faces. I never see the acne. I never do. So why? And this is just one example, right? But it's so funny. We we microscope things about ourselves so much. Oh my goodness. So stinking real. Yeah. I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Kate as much as I did. You should totally go check out her Instagram at Kateness because she is so stinking cute and has all the aesthetic appeal. Also, I would love for you to take two minutes to go to my iTunes and leave a rating and review. This helps us grow and reach more ladies that can listen in and be part of the Water with Lemon community. Thanks for listening in. You guys are the bomb. Stay fresh, my people. Since Kate and I had such good conversation around this topic, I decided to split it into two episodes. This is part one, and part two will come out next Wednesday. I can't wait for you to hear the second part where I ask Kate some fun dating questions. So check it out next week.